0: Hi all, and welcome to Brubble, a podcast gathering young voices and perspectives from in and around the Brussels bubble. Often, the policy areas that are most important to our lives are the ones we kind of take for granted. And today, we're going to be tackling one of these. In the wake of COVID, Ukraine, a generational shift towards sustainability, farming and agriculture has become a dynamic policy space. We're gonna be looking at this policy space and what the current state of agricultural policy is in the EU and what the challenges are that it's currently weathering. To join me in doing this is Natasha. Natasha, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: I always start by asking the weather. I I think it's a Dutch trait of mine, but uh, how's the weather for you? English, the
1: English like talking about weather as well, so I'm very comfortable with this this question. (laughs) Uh, It was a beautiful day today. Yeah, a nice crisp autumn day. Um, kind of my favorite kind of weather, actually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I haven't had enough autumn days here because, no. to me, being more Canadian, they all feel like that gloomy spring day you just want to end and get over and get the sunshine in with.
1: Yeah, but I do uh, feel like we've kind of gone from summer to winter. You know, there's not yeah. been much of this nice transition, but you know. Mm. Hoping for some nice autumnal colours soon.
0: Yeah, and I mean, speaking of autumn, you need autumn to have a good harvest. You do. <laughs> with a good harvest, you need agriculture. Indeed. And agriculture is a topic close to your heart. Very close, yes. Do you want to tell the viewers a bit, or the listeners, sorry, what you do, what you do in life, why agriculture is a topic I invited you on to talk about.
1: Absolutely. Well, as you said, my name is Natasha. um, I'm an agri-food journalist in Brussels. I actually work for Euractiv, so that's a media network. We focus on EU policy, and the idea is to try and translate this as best as we can, you know. So to explain what's going on in Brussels, connect the dots between different capitals across Europe. And as you said, I focus on agri-food. That's my my passion and my area that I work on. Um, It's been a passion of of mine for for many years kind of a long and twisty story how I ended up in Brussels um, but I basically started um, studying biology so that mm. was my my undergrad so I, I came to agriculture through kind of a scientific lens and then I moved much more to like kind of the social side of things more policy I did my master's in in development and policy and I focused on agriculture um, and then I actually worked on farms for many years. So really? Was, yeah. So I was actually, you know, putting my hands in the ground, like doing doing the farming stuff, planting trees, working on all kinds of different farms. I was working in France and in Greece. Um, and, you know, the more I was working on these farms, at this point, I felt like I had a kind of a scientific perspective. I had the farming perspective. And what I was really missing was the policy, because I heard so much from farmers, you know, Um, you know you go to Brussels and you tell them or they would say oh about the cap this mysterious cap common agricultural policy that I that I really I didn't know much about but I knew that it had a massive impact on the ground and it had a huge influence on the way that farmers were making their decisions and you know the way things were happening and playing out on the ground in different areas in the EU. So, you know, that's how I ended up coming to Brussels. I wanted to find out more about this policy, about how policy was made, the decisions that were behind um, what was going on in Brussels. And uh, yeah, I ended up, um, I mean, when I was working on farms, I actually ran my own blog, and that's how ah, I segued into this the right. This is how it starts. <laughs> exactly. It makes a bit more <laughs> sense. I forgot that part. So I, I ran my own blog. Um, we were, at this point that when I started this, so we were a group of young people working on an agroforestry project in Greece. And uh, we had this blog and I was writing about the challenges of that young farmers face um, in agriculture, writing about what we were doing, sustainability, all kinds of different things. And just kind of snowballed and, and segued into writing about other things, writing for other media, then very quickly transitioned into policy and then found myself thinking, yeah, this is this is where I want to be. <laughs> I want to be <laughs> writing about this stuff. And uh, I found an opportunity in Brussels and the rest is history, as they say. So I've been here for three years now covering agriculture in some of the most tumultuous time. I and mean, you said about this in your introduction, but it's really been, I mean, between covid uh, the ukraine war and of course on the background of this you know enormous policy developments things like the new cap reform um, it's been it's been a quite a ride for the last three years
0: yeah and i'm definitely excited to get into this because as some of the people might not know i'm simon i always forget to introduce myself which is <laughs> rude on my part but i grew up on a farm we were talking yeah. about this beforehand i grew up on a flower farm in canada i've grown up farming all my life you know Dealing with the chickens, planting, pulling weeds, all that <laughs> in the in the bushes stuff. And then I decided to escape to university, and haven't mm-hmm. looked back right. beyond those odd glances mm-hmm. when I see agriculture in the headlines, agriculture and policy, and I'm like. What is this mysterious field? Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, I was really keen to get somebody on, especially when it's been re- surging back into public consciousness with food security looming over us. Absolutely. And I promise we'll get to that too. Mm-hmm. I'll uh, leave some hunger, some appetite for Ooh. that. <laughs> but I don't want to make too dark of a joke. Just there. a
1: little amuse-bouche. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Um, but one of the cool, one of the interesting things that I noticed or that you were telling me when we were first talking is that you thought this was the most interesting <laughs> policy area in the EU, which I thought was a grand statement to say the least. But yeah. <laughs> I'm sure this podcast will convince our viewers a little bit.
1: I'd like to think so, yeah. It's a big statement, but I stand by it. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: So I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really do consider that that agriculture for me uh, sits at the crossroads of all of our most pressing issues. You know, if you're looking at ecology, economy, society, culture, you know, I think agriculture is something so fundamental to us as society. And, you know, food is not just fuel that keeps us going, but it's, it's you know, right at the heart of our cultures, our identities. You gather around the table and you have mm-hmm. these social events, you know, and the same way that farming's not just your, your bog standard industry, but it's like central to so many, uh, the way that societies function and how they've organized themselves Um, And I would also say, for me, the reason I say it's the most interesting policy, (laughs) really plugging agriculture as (laughs) you must be interested in this, Um, I think it's, for me, the most interesting lens through which you can understand the dynamics at play Mm -hmm. in the EU. If you can understand the complexity of the cap, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. a very complex beast. If you can understand which member states sit where on which issue, if you can understand Trilogues and all kinds of things, agricultural statistics reform, all things like that, you can map out and understand EU policy and increasingly more widely, you know, geopolitics. You can apply this elsewhere. And of course, agriculture, I have to say this, is it's a main competence of the EU, it's a third of the EU budget. And so I think for that, I'm making a very compelling case that mm. it's the most interesting policy area.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think you're winning me over the statistics there. It, it's a great point, <laughs> I will say.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: But on the topic of the EU mm. and your journalist and headlines, you've mentioned it's been a pretty tumultuous year for agriculture. Yes. So what are the key events that really stick out to you? What should I, as somewhat of a layman to the topic, know about agriculture throughout the year this year? And, and what have you been keeping your eye on the most?
1: I mean, of course, I've already mentioned it briefly, but, you know, the Ukraine war completely shook Mm -hmm. up the, the agriculture sector. You know, there have been not just the agricultural sector in the EU, but I mean global food chain disruptions. Um, of course, Russia and Ukraine are the agricultural powerhouses or some of the agricultural powerhouses of the world. There's been an enormous fallout and disruption, mainly to do with grains and cereals and wheat that's had an impact on both food and feed. Um, so I, I, if I had to summarise this year <laughs> into my key themes and keywords um, and also maybe the last few months, I would say definitely food security has been the key word this year. You know, how do we ensure food security? And by that, I mean, you know, how can we ensure everyone has uh, enough and also nourishing food? Uh, how to make sure that it's also accessible? Because you can also have that food, maybe if it's too expensive, you can't you can't afford it. And yeah, the Ukraine war it's it's had it's just had shockwaves through through the agriculture sector. I've already mentioned. You know exports and grain and things like that, um, but in in ways that you know it's very it, you can really see how everything's so interconnected, um, because we've also had major issues of, with fertilizers, yeah. access to fertilizers, prices of fertilizers, prices of all major inputs, feed. Um, as I said, food prices, which obviously hits the consumer, um, energy use, energy prioritisation. Who gets the energy when we have a limited supply? This is a big question we've been exploring in the last month. Um, you know, is the agri-food sector, which is a, a highly uh, energy-intensive sector, you know, from things like processing, heating, cooling, yeah. all kinds of processes, very energy-intensive, and we've been looking at. You know, we've had a lot of warnings from agri-food industry that. They might have to, you know, maybe fold, maybe close down different companies, especially the really intensive ones. And on the backdrop of that, we've also had um, this intense drought Mm. that, you know, farmers are also at the forefront of everything to do with climate change. So the first ones that are hit um, and we've had this intense drought throughout the summer. And it's come just at a time that we're having all these discussions about, food sustainability versus food security we've got the green deal versus do we just do things to feed us now what about the future and the drought is something that we're going to be seeing the repercussions of obviously also next year because you know it's mm. not just this year but if you don't have the water stock so a huge a huge <laughs> year for the agri sector and in terms of the EU policy i think i've seen well i have seen a, a real shift as well In the kind of themes that we're covering, I mean, things have got a lot more geopolitical, basically, it's got a lot more global. It's not just I mean, I think previously, if you were covering covering agriculture in Brussels, you'd be talking pure common agricultural policy and good old food safety, which is incredibly important. Um, But it's now so much wider. This concept of food sovereignty, farm to fork, looking at taking a global approach, looking at the global food supply, looking at the way that the EU can influence global supply chains. Um, There's a number of different initiatives coming through. We can also talk about those um, that have a global impact. And we've seen global world leaders talking about food security, a number of different patchwork initiatives and things. So it's been quite a shift, I'd say, in the standard way that I would have covered agriculture last year it's just become this much wider wider all-encompassing yeah you've, thing. Had,
0: you've had to lean on that like ir background which i don't know if you have but i don't, I don't <laughs> exactly. have, actually but well i'll, I'll, I'll let you in a secret it's it's made up so <laughs>
1: <laughs> luckily my editor uh, has has a bit more of that background but mm. yeah um, yeah it's been quite quite a shift uh, that you've seen that we've seen
0: yeah should we start and dissect maybe ukraine a bit maybe going yeah. chronologically off, off what you said sure because I, I wanted to delve in a bit, because you mentioned fertiliser, food shortages, sustainability. How are those issues impacting European farmers?
1: I think you'd have to look at it in terms of short term and long term. Mm-hmm. On the short term, of course, you're having actual shortages of fertilisers and different inputs. Um, and that has an immediate impact on, on harvest. You know, if you can't, if, you're, if you have a system reliant on fertilisers, which we'll get to, that, that's more of the long term um, impact, um, then of course you, you can't produce as much. And, of mm-hmm. course, you can't produce in the same ways as you can. It's an enormous concern. It's raised your prices. I mean, I mean you've seen farmers this year squeezed really between everything. You've seen yeah. them squeezed between the energy prices, between rising input costs, as well as climate change, on the other hand, and drought. I mean, farmers are under intense, intense pressure. And in terms of the way that it's changed this year, yeah, I mean, you, we literally, they literally have had issues accessing the things that they need to produce and then on the long term of course the conversations also shifted to well how do we move away from systems that are so reliant on fertilizers energy these different components lots of different conversations that are happening um, about what the future of farming will look like um, how we can reduce our reliance and uh, look at alternatives or look at alternative energy production we've seen energy and agri kind of merging (laughs) how Mm -hmm. can farmers produce their energy and help contribute to the energy crisis so uh, it's really shaping the way they do business now and it's really shaping the way that the the, the path that that they will take also for the future
0: yeah interesting because i think that path towards the future is quite a twisted road sometimes because Mm -hmm. not only is ukraine a big you know Black hole, if this keeps going on the same trend to next year, will we see a worsening of the current state? Because I assume that had some fertilizer built up, for instance, because I, th- I think Russia is the biggest supplier, Ukraine is mm. second biggest.
1: Mm.
0: What's next, right?
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: and even the grain market. So
1: definitely, definitely. I mean, w- the the Ukraine war has seen the EU kind of scrambling for different suppliers of. Uh, so we're talking mainly about potash here, which is a yeah. key ingredient in, in fertilizers. Um, and that's been the main kind of shortage because of the sanctions on, on Belarus. And as you said correctly, very correctly, it comes from Belarus and, and from Russia. So on the one hand, we've been scrambling to look for other sources, looking to places like uh, North Africa and even uh, places South South America, different places where we can, you know, replace, replace the potash. Um, but then again, also, yeah, looking at how do we reduce this? I mean, we've seen discussions... They've kind of gone all different directions, right? Um, And and it depends on the kind of lens you're looking at. But we've had discussions on things like gene editing. Should we allow gene editing in the EU? This Mm -hmm. was a a main discussion of uh, the agriculture ministers very recently at the meeting they had in Prague. There was this proposal, and you know this is something that is under consideration and something that would really shake up the agriculture sector if this was something that was allowed. Um, And so. yeah, you can really see how food security in the Ukraine war is kind of directing so many of the conversations that we're having about the future. And depending on how you're looking at it, it you know, some people will say it's derailing the green deal, the EU's green deal, yeah. or at least it's changing the direction or changing, you know, ch- changing the way that so this is going to be seen for the future.
0: I suppose to throw the same question back at you. Do you think it's derailing the, the EU green deal <laughs> or do you think it's simply just putting more emphasis on how important it was in the first place?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote to kind okay, of Go of for it, go this. for it. So, I actually was away over um, the, the day that the Ukraine war broke out. I was to have a little holiday, like a three day holiday. <laughs>
0: nice.
1: <laughs> you know, it's one of those things you think, yeah, no, I can take three days. What's, th- what's the worst? That's it's February, happen? whatever. Yeah, nothing's going to yeah. happen. It's going to be fine. I know I go three days. And I came back and I said, my goodness, they've just thrown everything under the bus you know everything that i've been working on everything that i thought we were working towards uh, all of the policy initiatives and different things it was suddenly just like throwing them out the window i mean it's true at a technical level that there have been a number of derogations from green measures right so in the common agricultural policy there's a number of sustainability measures that you have to do things like you have to rotate your crops and leave some land fallow is what they call you know or leave it Basically, leave it alone for for biodiversity,
0: yeah,
1: and farmers are paid to do these these good sustainable practices mm-hmm. and This is one of the first things that fell when the Ukraine war no happened, really. yeah, so they said temporary temporary derogation let 's see how long this goes on for because they keep talking about you know extending it and extending yeah. it um, and you know I think for lots of people the food security narrative really just suddenly was used to undermine all of the sustainability gains that there had been in the past few years. It's very true that between COVID and the Ukraine war, the Green Deal, I mean, the Green Deal was conceived in, a, in another world, a world before.
0: A world of COVID. <laughs> a world
1: before these, these, these things. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's changed the face of, of things a lot. And uh, you can see that reflected in conversations. I mean, there's Right now, there's conversations on how we, the EU, has set out an ambition. The Commission set out an ambition to half the use and risk of pesticides by 2030. And they've basically there's this uh, sustainable use of pesticides regulation, through which they there's a number of different kind of national targets. They've calculated they're supposed to all add up together to this this nice 50 <laughs> percent reduction, and you know agri ministers met the other day and they said we need another impact assessment on this life has changed now there's been ukraine Mm. we can no longer you know not look at the food security impacts of things like halving pesticide use so it is true that it has drastically changed the narrative and drastically changed the policy agenda i mean it's just it's in every conversation you're having and people are demanding you know changes and reflections on on these kind of ambitions
0: yeah, and I think that especially links into, I think, the thing that impacts the consumer the most, which is rising food prices. Mm-hmm. I, I go to buy my favorite meal and it's two euros more expensive. As, yep. as a poor, lowly, intern-esque person here, I can't afford that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, food, food prices, uh, actually, this is a very interesting point, because, of course, when you talk about food security, yeah. as I already said, you're talking about there being enough food,
0: mm-hmm. and you're also
1: talking about making sure that it's accessible. Yeah. It's not to downplay the fact that, of course, you know, you can, if you can't access food, it's the same, it's the same kind of, uh, the same result. Yeah, yeah, no, that's
0: a good point.
1: You're either producing more or you're, uh, or you're reducing the cost of them. In the EU, the risk has always really been the prices. We've never really been facing a food shortage. So when we talk about food security, it's not really in the context of food shortage. It's not availability, it's Mm -hmm. accessibility. And this has been something the commissioner said right from the beginning of the Ukraine war, that that is, is the concern. And that means, as you rightly pointed out, you know... Soaring food prices and it's something that unfortunately is not looking to get better anytime soon. You know, it's slightly alleviated in the markets when you've had things like a green a grain deal um, that was you know brokered by Turkey between Russia and Ukraine. There was this, there was this grain deal to allow grain out. This runs out very soon. <laughs> it will have to be renewed. All. It only requires one little comment for the markets to be to be going, you know, to be shooting up or going down. It's mm-hmm. a very versatile situation, you know, volatile situation. And yes, yeah, so when we're talking about food security, it's important to to remember that it actually it's accessibility, really, in, in the EU that we're talking about. Now the story shifts a bit if you're talking about Africa or the Middle East. There yeah. can actually be supply problems. And of course, both of them, as I said at the beginning, add up to the same if you can't access it for whatever reason for availability for food prices. it unfortunately, adds up to the same kind Mm -hmm. of results. Now, what's interesting is that from the EU side, you're much more able to push on production than you are on prices. So even if the issue is really prices, Mm -hmm. you only really have the, the tools to push on production. And that's what we've seen happen. So the Common Agricultural Policy was originally conceived to produce more. Mm -hmm. There are all of these different tools and mechanisms you can use to produce more. And that's what the commission has pushed on, even though the problem has really been prices, because they're very limited. It's not competence. It's not in their area. It's for member states. The only thing they've really come up with is saying uh, we recommend that member states slash VAT on food prices on food items. It's a recommendation. They can't tell people to do it. It's up to member states to do it. Um, and and there's, there's there's just not a lot of wiggle room there to do much on prices. So even if that's the main problem, they're pushing more on the production. And that's where the comments about, you know, the, the concerns about sustainability come into play. Because if you're producing more and more and more, at what yeah. cost for the future?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Because, I mean, for me, sustainability and agriculture have this weird almost, you know... I'm trying to think of a word fancier than I know, but this weird relationship where they are always intertwined in some kind of eternal battle. Because, I mean, being somewhat Dutch myself, I've seen these farmer protests in the Netherlands play out pretty Mm. vividly. Mm -hmm. I've seen, for instance, uh, there was deforestation in Romania, which grabbed some headlines a few weeks back ago. Mm. Do you think that agriculture and sustainability are always poised to be this kind of, you know, dichotic enemy fighting till the end? Mm. Or is there a common way forward in a common agricultural policy? Oh.
1: <laughs> nicely done, nicely done. <laughs> I mean, I, I, no, I don't like to pit environment and agriculture mm. against each other. Um, I understand that's the narrative, that's a strong narrative that's come through. But, I mean, from my perspective, I really do think there's 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 ways that you can farm sustainably there has to be ways there's ways that you can um, increase soil organic matter you can um, sequester carbon you can do all these different techniques there's no and 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 not compromise food security necessarily depending on how you know the ways that you're implementing these things so I don't think they necessarily have to be against each other the issue is of course in a crisis (laughs) there's different decisions being taken you you know it can be much more manic and and these things end up maybe clashing more or things get being pushed quicker or you know different things like that um but of course sustainability is not a new lens in agriculture as such i mean we've had this green deal um you know i i I do think they've been wrongfully pitted against each other maybe that's a simplification um But yeah, I mean, also the the idea of pitting food security against food sustainability is kind of, I don't want to say redundant, but, you know, in one sense, of course, you're always working for it. Farmers are always working for their... They, they want to leave their land in better state than when they than they came. You know, farmers work over generations. Mm-hmm. They work, you know, their grandfathers and whatever, great grand. They often work the same land. You know, they, they have sustainability at the core of what they're doing. You know, it's not a matter of trying to be as exploitative as possible. It's not the same. I think farmers understand the most of all the people that I've ever met. That if you don't preserve your soils, if you don't preserve your water systems, if you don't, then you do not have it for the future to come. And you might have food security today, but you won't have it tomorrow. And you know, honestly, from my conversations with farmers, they're the ones that get that the most. They're the closest ones to it. They're the closest ones that see when climate change changes something, when droughts happen, when they can't grow their Mm -hmm. crop because or their soil gets depleted. um, You know, they're the first ones that are fighting for this kind of true sustainability. That means can you can continue uh, exploiting agricultural land into the future, and that's kind of the true sustainability. So I I don't see the pitting against each other of sustainability and agri.
0: Yeah. For me, it's, I mean, I've grown up on a farm always. I I really relate to that because it's also my Mm. father, like, you know, crop rotation, making sure, like, even, like, trying to use the least pesticides possible and him being like, this is a natural apple. Sure, it's misshapen, but that's how they're supposed to be. Right. And Mm -hmm. my mom being very happy about that, of course. (laughs) But it's I've always thought maybe just a lack of, I, I don't think that farmers think about sustainability in the same mindset that for instance a university educated biology professor mm. thinks about sustainability yeah, they maybe. view it more of the agricultural end to it which is interesting and mm. i think that's why we're seeing this massive you know rift between the farmers and the policymakers.
1: yeah i mean there's always this criticism of the distance between policymakers and farmers on the ground you know do they really understand the day-to-day of a farmer do they really understand the motivations are they really close enough to to make these kind of decisions and you know this I actually wrote a a brief the other day about um about (laughs) EU politicians in ivory towers you know uh, and kind of like talking about these policies and whatever and because I went to this farm and it was very funny to see their opinion of all these different things playing out on the farm mm-hmm. and you know, they were not very impressed with a number of things or ambitions about organic and labeling and all these kind of things so y- you definitely do see a gap shall we say often I mean a lot of work's been in to try and bridge that and actually even part of the cap reform which comes into play in January 2023 so the first mm-hmm. of January, Hopefully, if everything goes according to plan, we've had a lot of setbacks <laughs> in this, so um, let's see how this goes. Um, a large part of that CAP reform for the very first time is like giving slightly more power to member states. It's trying to decentralize to some extent to try and make the policies a bit more adapted to farmers in each um, country. And so there is movement to try and and, and kind of bridge different things, give different powers, make sure that farmers feel that the policies are best suited to them where they are.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree on those points. And I mean, speaking a bit on, I guess, the sentiment around the feeling of agriculture. One of the things I did want to mention, and I noticed this following your uh, Twitter account a little bit, (laughs) is that... A little
1: shout out there to everyone. Yes, uh,
0: (laughs) it is a very good source in agricultural information. Uh, So if you you don't want to read the news, you might as well read 24 characters or 48. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. (laughs) But you kept uh, griping on about the stated union address, (laughs) how there was one key thing missing in that. And what was missing in that address?
1: Yeah, I wasn't very impressed. I think I, I, I did do some fairly, I fired off some sarcastic tweets about this. So <laughs> <laughs> you clearly picked up on that. Um, yeah, the State of the Union. I mean, I was expecting a reference from von der Leyen, from mm-hmm. President von der Leyen. Uh, a reference at least to food security, at very minimum. I mean, this whole year, all of our concerns going into winter. It are heating and eating. I mean, ultimately, it's a, it's a price crisis, right? But it's heating and eating.
0: That's a soundbite. <laughs> <And laughs>
1: yeah. um, there you go. You're welcome. And But the problem was there was heating but not eating, you know? Mm-hmm. There was energy but not. And, and you think, we're talking about fueling our societies. We're not talking about fueling our bodies, you know? there's yeah. there's a fundamental. This sector is having, as I've explained to you, you know, very passionately. Um, mm. It's been one of the worst. It's been a terrible year for agriculture. There's been so many issues. And the fact that it was not that it didn't merit a single mention in her main, the main yeah. part of her speech,, um, I think, was surprising. And uh, I'm not the yeah. only one to think so, because I've since had a number of farming stakeholders mm-hmm. talk to me about this, um, you know, basically voiced that they were, they were disappointed to not see it. Now, I will say a little caveat: she did follow up. Um, in the responses to the group leaders when they were all like, where's farming, where's food? And you know, a lot of them did raise this issue. She did, in, in all fairness to her, follow up in her second part, but it, but it didn't make it into the first main part of her speech, in the main address where she sets out what she thinks is the most important yeah. things, she, only in, in response. And honestly, only then, only EU. And, you know, this is actually a global issue. We're having a global yes. sub- food crisis so yeah i was surprised not to see it in there. i was outraged as an <laughs> agri-food journalist <laughs> to not see my my you know my pet uh, my pet subjects mm. make it in there um But I mean, it is getting more and more recognition generally. I mean, I remember the the first council I had whenever it was a few months ago that I was looking at the, you know, the the agenda coming up, I was looking at this draft uh, document and it was the first time I'd ever seen like the common agricultural policy being discussed by the EU leaders. So, I mean, it is making its way, but it is just a different, in my perspective, it's, you know, just as severe or just as important as energy, but we're all focusing on energy and not agriculture.
0: Yeah, because it definitely has the makings. I don't want to jinx anything, you know, knock on wood a bit here, but it just definitely has the makings of the next big crisis, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it. it I don't want it to also be too dramatic or too fatalistic about it, or too, you know.
0: I mean, you, you, you got to stay employed somehow as a journalist. Well, so. it's true.
1: No, it's a huge crisis. <laughs> you must follow me on on Twitter. No joking. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things in place, working very hard. So we've got a lot yeah. of stores and you know different crisis mechanisms and stuff like this. It's not to say that we should be really scared, like that we're not going to have enough food. I think this is quite a, you know, it's quite dramatic, and 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 sometimes that also can be. Co- you know that idea can be co-opted and used in different ways that can be quite problematic right mm-hmm. i think we do have to stay realistic but it is true that the sector is suffering that food prices are rising that people will be squeezed between energy prices and food prices and i think they should be you know level <laughs> <laughs> uh in terms of the, the the amount of attention they both get
0: yeah definitely i'm
1: th- slightly biased but you know uh, i do think
0: <laughs> I, I mean it's good to recognize our bias sometimes. yes there
1: you go okay
0: I want to lean on this bias a little more because mm-hmm. you know this area a bit more than I do and trying to wrap it all up a little more. Do you think there's anything that we should keep our eye on or anything that we haven't discussed yet in this podcast which people should be aware of or should seek out on their own?
1: Um, I mean honestly I think we've touched upon kind of the biggest I want to say sexiest topics <laughs> um, in agriculture this year. Of course there are things that um, you know mu- much much wider that I think are still really important um, and you know things that I think people should be should really care about for example I think people should care about the common agricultural policy reform and people should care about the way this will play out and the way that the money is divvied up as I said you know a third of the EU budget Um, you know an immense power to change and shift the way agriculture is produced um, in the EU, there is a whole host of other uh, issues that I think you know people should 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 care about. In terms of what's coming up and to maybe keep an eye on on the you yeah. know coming in the in the coming months, the next you know on the EU policy <laughs> agenda. Um, I already spoke about the sustainable use of pesticides regulation, and this is going to be a, a big one because it, this is it is a really interesting issue. This because. So we basically have this commission proposal to slash uh, the, the use of pesticides, as I, uh, use and risk of pesticides, as I've explained. And we've got huge backlash from lawmakers. Now, I'm not just talking the ministers. I'm talking the parliament and the ministers, MEPs and ministers, both lawmakers, both on the same side, which, by the way, is rare. Like, you don't see this a lot, right? Like, you, yeah. you, you normally see more backlash from the member states, realistically. And they don't want it. But the commission absolutely just does not want to budge on this even though the lawmakers don't want it. You know, there's this, like, they're not listening, they're pushing through on this thing. And it's very interesting, and the commission's line is, the people want it, right? It's like the will of the people. We've done, like, surveys, and the people, they want less pesticides. And obviously, from the member state's perspective, or from, you know, different stakeholders' perspective, it's more about the reality. So... This is going to be like, I mean, it's going to be a long, it's not this year, but I mean, it's going to be over the next year, year and a half, it's going to be a big battle that's playing out. And I think that's very interesting for the shaping the future of the agriculture sector, um, there's a bunch of other things coming up. Um, I'm trying. I'll try and pick the sexiest ones, the things that are the most I, I mean, interesting. As a Canadian,
0: I love my fish wars. You know, we're going oh. to war a few times over we fish, but uh, sadly yeah. that's not on the horizon. So
1: no, no, all well the UK, all the kind of waters, <laughs> and these are my fish, not yours, type things. Um, there's, there's interesting stuff there for sure. Um, but no, I would say, I mean, I already mentioned in November uh, there'll be a you know a reassessment of the grain deal that's mm-hmm. going to have huge impacts if yeah. if if that's decided to continue or change or however it's going to play out something to to definitely watch um yeah
0: i'm quickly realizing i need to do a podcast on eu turkey relations because that, yeah, that was be a theme mm-hmm. in my last episode which pe- which should be out for people to watch we touched okay. upon that towards the end of it so
1: it's very interesting yeah yeah, yeah and yeah, the, the kind of the impact that will have will be will be quite big. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of other things on the EU agenda that I think should be should have more focus. Let me I'll pick one or no I'll pick two. That I think you should be final, focus. Two, so, we the we final two. The final two. I Feel like you've been
0: picking out for the last five minutes.
1: Uh, yeah, it's true. There's lots going on. There's lots going on. There's there's conversations on the industrial emissions directive that I think people should be interested mm. in.
0: Okay, Ooh. that, that Ooh. sounds uh, yeah. energy security related. That well, might that might get a like a byline.
1: <laughs> it's about so it's about the the emitters that this mm-hmm. the but they're, they're putting and, agri and industry kind of on the same page in terms of like the the major polluters the CO two uh, emissions and the commission's presented a proposal again MEPs and ministers they, they don't want agri to be lumped in with the kind of the the emitters. Um, this will be coming next year, not not this year. Um, but and it's also really interesting as well in the context of what we were talking about earlier. This like fight between environmental and ag- and agri because it's an envy file.
0: Definitely. So
1: yeah. there's going to be this. I mean, long standing. This is a long historical agri versus. You're getting MV. way <laughs> too
0: excited to see this. <laughs> She's Two bouncing clashes. up and down. Well,
1: there's a clash. There's good journalism. You know what I mean. So I don't. There we go.
0: And last pick.
1: The last. I mean, at the end of the year. That'll be another This does not sound interesting at all, but I'm, I, it is interesting because okay. it's interesting in terms of how the politics play in the EU. There's a pr- pro- proposal on a harmonised front of pack labelling, nutritional labelling. Sorry, I've heard of this. Foo- yeah, oh, food.
0: Yeah.
1: Big backlash from the southern member states over this idea of nutri score, this colour coded system that t- tells you, you know, how nutritional things are, whatever.
0: I still um, don't know how to use that. Having well, lived in Belgium for almost a that. year, <laughs> I have no idea how it works. Because okay. I pick up a chocolate bar, that says A, and I'm like, oh, hell, it's so healthy. And it's like 100 grams of sugar. Anyway, sorry.
1: You have perfectly demonstrated. I don't even need to explain. You have perfectly demonstrated why this is interesting and why there's a huge backlash about this and the, very controversial, very controversial. There's going to be a lot of lobbying about this. It's gonna. It, it's a big. It's a big topic, and uh, yeah, different member states all got their different positions on things, and that's something I think should also be interesting. It's gonna influence, you know, how consumers pick and you know what you think's healthy and, and everything else. So. It will have an impact and that's my last one Cool, cool,
0: <laughs> cool, cool I think that's a great way to wrap up the substantive part of this episode mm-hmm. it was a really good quick fire look into agriculture and I'm glad it had some cohesive structure to it because I, I was quite scared while writing the outline here because it's <laughs> such a huge file yeah it's big it's, it's a it reminds you of those those are uh, farmers' fields in Canada, you know,
1: but yeah. uh, it's big and getting bigger. That's yeah that's that's the thing. yeah. but
0: we're not done yet. Mm. I always do a little off the off the cuff you know
1: okay.
0: uh, you know personal-ish question where you mm. give your own views. and I'm okay. gonna set this up in a weird way.
1: Great, okay. Fine. Fidel Thanks.
0: Castro. You didn't expect to hear his name. His obsession, one of his obsessions, was creating the perfect sheep, I believe, or no, the, f- the perfect cow. Was it
1: really? Which <laughs> okay. created
0: the right amount of milk. Okay. And he was really obsessed over creating that advancement in farming. I
1: really didn't see this coming. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So
0: if you had to perfect anything in farming, make like the perfect something, what (laughs) would it be? How would it look like?
1: I mean, I'm quite passionate about agroforestry. Okay. And so that is by that I mean using integrating trees into farming systems.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't
1: mean just making trees. This is a bit of a weird thing to choose but uh, this is my uh, this is my passion area so I'm okay. going to I'm going to go for it I'm going for it off the cuff you said so I'm going for <laughs> it I mean uh, a kind a system where you can integrate um, annual and perennial crops and integrate trees with growing other things and the, the it's integrated system where we stop seeing kind of you know this idea where you're seeing this field grows this and this field grows that what I'd love to see is a more upscaled integrative system and I'd love to see more work on that. I didn't think you'd probably expect that answer. Okay. <laughs> yes. No,
0: I was expecting, the like... The perfect tree. I want, like, a watermelon-sized strawberry uh, Oh, I something.
1: see. You're going more for that. But okay, a perfect
0: right. tree also sounds good.
1: Yeah, hmm, yeah, I I could have gone somewhere more interesting with that. Honestly, I was way more on the agricultural like. I think mindset. this
0: says more about where your mindset is. I yeah, yeah, I'm I'm way more <laughs> on
1: like you know whole systems level rather than. But I, I do think a watermelon sized strawberry, you know, that could be. You know, I do love strawberries. um Yeah,
0: and I'm they're always too from. small. They end too quick yeah like podcasts oh there we go just and there we, we go clothes. i think we're gonna <laughs> wrap up on that do okay. you have any final words where can the people follow you listen to you well, read you
1: you can follow me you obviously can find all my work on your active mm-hmm. and you can find all my i have a, i have a podcast myself is that okay to plug a podcast yes on another i was podcast? going to mention introduction
0: <laughs> as oh i'm actually joined by another <laughs> podcast host <laughs> over, but, uh, all
1: right i'll do a plug fine i have my own po- oh, well we, we have a, i do it with my agri team it's not just me um so with my editor Gerardo fortuna and also with another agri reporter who's based in berlin julia dam and the three of us we run if you're really interested in agri and agri policy the best place to go is our podcast we have a weekly podcast comes out on mondays the agri food brief you can find it on your actors website um you can also subscribe to our newsletter we have a weekly newsletter that comes out on friday it has all of the information you need to know about what's going on in the eu and the agriculture sector and, uh, yeah, as you said very kindly earlier that you can also follow me on Twitter. That's Natasha Foot. You can find me on Twitter. I tweet a lot about agriculture and food. So, yeah.
0: Perfect. Well, it was great having you on. Thank you, you have, for having uh, me. You've made me hungry enough about yeah, agriculture. Yeah, it's ta- dinner time. It's dinner time. That it is within the top five <laughs> EU policy areas for me now. Yes. There we go.
1: Winning. Okay. Perfect. All right. I still have work for that number one spot, <laughs> but that's fine.
0: That's nice. Yes. Well, uh, I guess I'll see everybody else later then. Um, if you want to stay in, t- if you want to keep up to date with our podcasts, I think I should be releasing one another one next week. I have no idea how to order if I'm releasing these episodes is, but there will be something and that's all I'll say. So see you guys later. Bye.
1: Bye. Thanks for having me.